Can we go? Can we see that? Friends, we're trying to teach our kids to have a living faith. Not simply a Sunday go to church faith, but have something that actually is transformational. C.S. Lewis had this idea. He was a great modern-day prophet uh, that was just one of the most gifted writers, uh, I think, of all time. And he's the one that penned the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. But you know what his ulterior motive in that was? Because there's so many themes of salvation and redemption. What he wanted to do was give kids who might not have grown up in church uh, or might not have heard the, the salvation story, the gospel story. He wanted to give kids a touch point so that when they heard the gospel message about God's forgiveness and sending his son and that you can be born again and again and again, he said, I want it to already sound familiar. So he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, this, this great series of books so that kids could have an experience with God even before they could name that that's what it was. I think in a similar way, Mr. Rogers was creating a picture of what revolutionary abounding in love looked like. And he was willing to take on all the social issues of his days. And one of the things I love that he said was that he felt like feelings and this is where I feel like we're so stunted in our emotional health, is that he said feelings should be taught as both mentionable and manageable. And friends, we don't know how to grieve well. We don't know how to express healthy anger, which, by the way, is a God-given attribute. So there has to be, if God gave us the ability to be angry, also a healthy expression of it. I think Mr. Rogers was this prophetic voice early on, and we've sort of lost that in so many ways. And so it's coming back to our homes. It's coming back to our tribes. It's coming back to our extended family of faith to be the people of God, not as people who've just simply changed their behavior, but something's happened on the heart. So don't come to Mission Hills for three years or five years and learn practices alone. Let this be part of the transformational experience so that our hearts become bare. And so um, one of the things that I think is happening in our culture is our definition of love is so incredibly shallow. And so we often define love right now as acceptance, as niceness. And I would say love is anything but that. Well, it has a lot to do with it. We don't have to be ugly. But there is something uh, when we start to talk about love that goes, it, it, it might actually suggest unconditional acceptance. And so, um, but real love interrupts self-harm. Real love interrupts your greed. Real love interrupts your lust real love holds a person accountable because they understand that there is a better way to live in harmony with God, harmony with each other, and harmony with our creation. This was God's plan. And it wasn't that God was wanting to rob us of anything. He was wanting us to live in harmony together. And so when we embrace a definition of love that says it's about niceness and acceptance and tolerance, I think what we miss is this idea that, oh, well, you know, if you're um, in recovery, I probably shouldn't just let you keep drinking. But a real friend, a real expression of love, might interrupt that self-destruction and say, there's a better way. If your vice is obesity and, and we keep going out to deep fried food, I'm a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. But I'm saying, well, I just love them and accept them however they are. 
I'm saying there's a way to be new in Christ, but to be abounding in love. And so then I asked the question, what do we think is the goal then of the Christian life? I know it sounds deeply philosophical, and it's not a trick question, but some might say, well, to go into all the world, uh, to get saved, or I just need to go to heaven. And I would say, actually, it's the divine union with God. The goal of the Christian life is to experience union like we would a marriage. And we become with God like one flesh. And here's what I know about faith and family and, and, and marriage. There's no fake in it. There's no pretense. Because once you've been married for more than a day, we're all prone to ugly moments, not our finest hour moments. And what I think happens in faith is God courts us into this divine union so that we can know God's love in such a way that it actually changes the way we love another. Because I need to be interrupted in loving myself, to be frank. I, I need to be interrupted to, to learn to love someone beyond me and my comfort. And so this is what we see happening. This isn't simply something we can read about or just hear a talk and, and, and actually experience it. If we make the Christian life simply about knowledge, we miss the experience, the transformational ability. So think about it. I can read something like how to fill out a tax form and comprehend it and correctly fill out a tax form. I can read a manual on how to set up some kind of brand new entertainment system and, and produce the desired results. But if I sit here and say, you've got to learn to live like Jesus, what that actually means for us to learn to love like God loves is it's going to involve failure. It's going to involve stumbling. It's going to involve heartbreak. Everything belongs. Nothing is lost. This is what God is trying to invite us into. Uh, it was Richard Rohr who had some thoughts around this. And he was saying, through constant trials and temptation, God leads us forward. He leads us forward through family. And maybe today that's a hard thing to remember. Maybe it's hard to pick up the phone and call mom because it feels fragmented today. But God leads us forward, remember, we're always taking next steps spiritually, so we're not stuck in the tragedy of doubt and disillusionment. But he leads us forward, and it sometimes leads through failure, through, through broken hearts and friendship and loss and abuse and even success. But this is what Richard Rohr says. God comes to us disguised as our life. God comes to us disguised as our life. And if you have ever kind of shaken your fist at God or felt spiritually dry and wondered, where is God when? Maybe the things that you feel about injustice and greed and abuse are exactly the same things God feels. If you're dealing with broken hearts and wounds and, and difficulties, maybe God is grieving just like you. God said that I am a comforter, but he did not say I will make you comfortable because that would take away the transformational nature of what we need to go through like gold being purified in a fire so that it can remove the impurities out of it. So I think Mr. Rogers is this beautiful modern day expression and maybe most of you uh, 
have had some encounter with Mr. Rogers and you start to think back and you watch that kind of piece and you go, oh yeah, I guess, I guess he was talking about some pretty meaningful things. That doesn't sound like a lot of children's programming today. Um, but uh, maybe a, a counterpoint to that, even though we have this beautiful modern day example, is this really poor uh, example of love coming from Jonah. Do you remember the story of Jonah? You know, the whole whale encounter, swallowed up three days later, spit out. Why was that so traumatic? Because Jonah, the servant of God, the good church guy, was called to do something that he had disdain for. <laughs> oh, shoot. Come on now. Now it's getting personal. Jonah has this moment where he, he sent to this people that he not only uh, didn't like he wanted to straight up avoid and so he's like go go to these Assyrians and they had a reputation that was incredibly brutal especially with how they treated prisoners it would be not uncommon like saying oh why don't you go to Raqqa Raqqa, Syria, the headquarters of ISIS, and you show up there because I've called you, and all I want you to do is invite them to repent. Simply invite them to turn. And he's like, heck no, and maybe that was personal interest, but maybe that was an unyielded heart. I will not associate with those kind of people. And so he goes the other way. And through the journey, swallowed up by the great fish and on and on, he finally ends up there. But what his encounter is like is something that we can all take note of because maybe it sounds, at least for me, mildly autobiographical. Because I have a tendency to want to callous up my heart because I don't want it to be too affected. There's, it's easier to control outcomes if I don't make myself quite as vulnerable. And mind you, all the while I call myself a Christian and I try and remain unaffected. And what God is inviting us is to divine union, to lay ourselves bare before him and, and get surgical with our hearts. And so here's this, he sends him, he goes the other way, but he knew all of these things, uh, the cruelty of the, in war, and, all the, and he just simply felt like, God, I'm sorry, I think I know better. These people deserve punishment. Do you know how mean and cruel they've been to countless people, including my own? Um, and so finally he ends up, and this is what we read, and it, I'm just giving you a condensed version, but Jonah chapter 3, it goes through verse 4, but it says, and Jonah was outraged at God's mercy. We read that he prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, this is not what I said when I uh, was still at home. That is why I was so quick to flee the opposite direction to Tarshish. I knew that you were, see if this sounds familiar, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and a, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh God, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The end. Okay, this is, this is not just your average go to, this is like the leader. I mean, he's a prophet and God sends him here and he knows the character and the nature of God, which is why he didn't want to go because he has his own personal agenda with them. It's amazing to hear. Jonah's furious with God to the point of death because of his for, forgiveness that he wishes, that he was dead himself. So what a contrast between our emotions and the grace of a holy but compassionate God. And 
we usually look to stories in the New Testament because we want, oh, in the New Testament, Jesus is all about mercy and love and forgiveness. And yet we have this really pointed exchange where God sends him. And guess what? He finally shows up a bit delayed. He calls them repentance and they lay down their weapons. They lay down their swords. They, and this is our language for what it means to repent, turn. Simply recognizing the moments of the Holy Spirit, either turning from or turning away. And this is what we're really invited into. I want to steal your thunder a little bit, Kristen, because she called me this week because she was so excited. She had spent some time with Grace. Grace is the pastor's wife uh, from Burma, and they live with very modest means, but they had spent some time together. She drug her kids over there, but um, it's, it's kind of hard living, and I've heard some different things about it when you can't advocate for yourself, when you grow up in a culture and in a country that is under military rule, and someone that you're always trying to negotiate with is holding a machine gun, you have no rights. So when you're learned in that kind of uh, culture, you can't just simply think like of an American. But they're in a new apartment. We just did a housewarming. Uh, we've, we've kind of partnered with them in many ways, them giving to us as well as us giving to them. But Kristen showed up, and, and, and I'm just going to just kind of be like, you'd probably want to hear the extended version, but uh, Grace had a word that, God, you're going to be my confidence today. She's got three kids. She's got her youngest infant son who's been just recovering from ammonia, uh, pneumonia, and then her middle son, because they're sleeping with the doors open, has just been bitten up completely uh, with mosquitoes. Uh, and the reason the doors are, and, and windows are open is because their air conditioning is not working. And so they keep showing up. And mind you, they moved in a month ago. So they keep showing up and, right? What, what, what are you going to do? Call the Better Business Bureau? What, what are you going to do? So they just keep accepting. <laughs> they don't know how to self-advocate. So Kristen has this impression. She's got laundry. She's got pickup duty. She's got all these, you know, grocery shop. She's got all of these things to think about, but has this impulse that I'm supposed to go back today. And it felt largely inconvenient, except she goes back today, realizes Grace... It's like, can you just come talk? To? Ends up at the management office, and they're giving them all the lines, except she says, actually, wh wh where's your handyman today? Wh what could happen right now? What is he doing now? Because it was going to be Monday. Well, one thing led to another. They walk back to the apartment. The maintenance guy shows up. Says, would you just call my dad? He knows all about these things. This is the man who like, ran like, overseas projects. Certainly, he can handle uh, <clears throat> an AC repair over the phone. Uh, Next thing you know, they're inside, they're cleaning up something broken, and, and this, this maintenance guy looks in long enough and recognizes how hard their life actually is and starts installing a temporary uh, AC unit so that they can actually live with comfort that you and I expect and actually take for granted. A prompt. What do I do? It's a Kairos moment. The opportunity for the kingdom of God is at hand. Is heaven about there and then? No, it's here and now. What are we going to do? Are we going to turn either toward or away and respond to the prompts of God? Here's this refugee woman praying and saying, God, you're going you're to be my confidence today. And she has it come in the form of an American friend, a fellow mom who's nursed sick babies, who becomes her confidence and her voice, and just get someone to install a simple AC. Is that a miracle? No, but it's heaven on earth. This is what I'm talking about. And it's not rocket science. 
But when we say we don't do Sunday school, we actually do. <laughs> it just looks a lot more like a laboratory than a lecture hall. I want to show you one final video. Um, I found some footage of Mr. Rogers in 1969 standing or sitting before a Senate Oversight Committee who didn't know anything of his work, and the guy's sort of puzzled, but here's the voice of an advocate. Here's the voice of a man who doesn't lose his voice, who doesn't speak crassly, but with such strength and such conviction, a man abounding in love says there's got to be a better way for this local expression of neighborhood care. And I'm like, oh man, I think I want to put them on our website because this is what I'm talking about when I'm trying to like get us to think about building communities and mission locally throughout Austin rather than just growing the size of a worship service. Though, by the way, I love when you come to worship too. Can we do it both and? Uh, and so we can have this growing momentum of what God wants to do both in us and through us. 1969, um, public education advocating before a Senate Oversight Committee Could we for get a copy increased of this funding. So that we can Turn it up nice, a little louder. Maybe not today, but I'd like to see the program. 